Hi, I'm Ed Romaine, the Chief Marketing Officer of Cargo Global, and this is Mobilizing Culture, a new podcast exploring the ever-changing world of advertising and how new waves of mobile technology and digital advertising impacts the human mind both positively and negatively. Today, we explore the human-technology relationship and how it plays out both in the advertising that we see, whether we like it or not, and the art that we admire. To help me with this discussion, I spoke with two individuals who both have unique perspectives as they represent two very different sides of the digital advertising space. First is Doug Jacob. Hi, Doug. Hello. Doug's creative agency, Jaywalk, was recently acquired by top cosmetic brand Shiseido, earning him the new title of creative director of Shiseido America. You know, you can have a technical skill or you can just have taste, right? And I think what I've found over the years is that taste is not that common. Even though he's only in his early 30s, he has a unique vantage point as new ad technology is introduced, especially to the younger generation because... My dad and twin girls. Whoa. Yeah. How old are they? They're seven. Wow. You look like you're 11. Yeah, I had them when I was 11. <laughs> I also invited Esmeralda Cosmatopoulos, a multimedia artist whose work is a reflection on language and communication. So I grew up in Paris. I was very good in school. I'm a conceptual artist. I just like think. You're like paid a, to think. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. sometimes when I catch up with people, like after two weeks, and like, so what have you been doing? And I'm like, oh, I thought. And they like, then there is the most silence in the room. I don't even know how to draw a lollipop tree. She may not be able to draw a lollipop tree, but what she is able to do as an artist is uncover vulnerability in emotions like love and fear using the simple nuances in technology. Esmeralda and I have been friends for a long time. You're um, really good in this uh, new podcast job. Yeah, I know. They say a face for radio, don't they? Isn't that the thing? <laughs> What started as a conversation on advertising and art quickly turned into an exploration of how digital devices and data are drastically changing human behaviors. Are we the same people we were before smartphones? To try and best answer this question, we first looked at advertising and how data is transforming both marketing and branding, and perhaps widening the gap between them. We constantly hear that from our marketers. It's yeah. just, just keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. We also looked at the future of mobile technology. We are not God or nature, whatever you want to call it, and we're just human. The social implications of technology. I, I literally have to train myself and physically talk to myself to put the phone down when there's other people there. And the intersection of humans and technology around the globe. You go to, to France or Greece, trust me, you're not going to find Because Doug is in charge of the marketing strategies of a global brand, I wanted him to usher us into the minds of advertisers. What are they trying to accomplish, and more importantly, how? For him, one of the biggest challenges as creative director of a major beauty corporation is the understanding of branding opposed to marketing. I I think, you know, good brands have sort of a 60-40 balance, 60% branding, 40% marketing. And I I deal with a lot of 80% marketing, 20% branding, because I think as we're trying to create emotional connection in a highly competitive sector, which is beauty, emotional connection is, is important. And so you really need to lead with brand and design. Can you just differentiate the two terms? Sure. This is probably going to differ from what's in the dictionary, but marketing to me, they solely are looking at selling a product, right? And their trade, right? So it's how do I get that product out the door? How do I get it in the hands? I think branders have a, a bigger consideration with design and how that sets apart their brand emotionally and visually, And so I think the similarity is everybody's trying to sell a product at the end of the day, but I think branders have a long-term view, whereas marketers have sort of a short-term view. Yeah, got it. When we think about how we want emotional attachment with our Shiseido brands, we're really concentrating on quality over quantity. But content is important. It's just content's not king. I, I think it's important to have quality. 
um, more than have you know just a bunch of assets. And I think we battle with that every day with the marketers because marketers believe that you need to continue to push out, you need to continue to be top of mind, and that's true. But we're believers that attachment comes from being one of one. You remember those old commercials like head on, head on. Head on. Applied directly to the forehead. Head on. Applied directly to the forehead. Head on. Applied directly to the forehead. Head on is available without a prescription at retailers. We constantly hear that from our marketers. It's just, just keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. And I think you damage brands long term. So we might fix something right now uh, as far as sales, but we're going to have to fix it later. Yeah. It's almost like we're so data focused that you can't take a step back from it and actually just make a rational decision because you're looking at all of the metrics that you're up against for performance. Yeah. And then you're sort of telling a story over and over and over again, even if it's not the the right story and the right time. And in 2017, we can't talk about marketing and branding without talking about data. For the non-advertising folks listening, in mobile advertising, we're talking about seconds for recall mm-hmm. to remember a Shiseido ad mm. or to remember an art collaboration with Esmeralda and Kenzo. In three seconds, what are you remembering? And are you? <laughs> we have data that says, yes, you can remember an ad and just actually on editorial, if you're reading something that you love to read. Yeah, absolutely. Under two seconds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... So, Do you know yeah. when the first TV commercial ran? I don't. It was in 1941. Okay. Do you know who it was? No. It was Bull of a Watches. If you could imagine how long the first commercial was, what would you say? Like five minutes. Yeah, everyone says that. <laughs> really? And it was a 10-second advertisement, and it, all it said was, America runs on Bull of a Time. And it's funny because now, if you think about mobile, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but now on the mobile device, people are trying to replicate the 1 minute and 30 second commercial on a very truncated session on a seconds. mobile device. Yep. And it's funny that we're having the same conversation that we had in 1941, because shortly after that commercial ran, they said TV's dead yeah. and <laughs> radio's where it's at. Right. And here we're actually back on radio. Yeah. So that's good. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, how much today is technology informing your practice? Uh, quite a bit. We have the luxury of you know large scale media purchases through $11 billion public holding companies. So, we get data all the time before we go into creative concept. It's incredibly helpful. It's not something I had as an independent agency. I mean, certainly we based our decisions off of data, but it was um, a lot of qualitative purchases or or social listening prior to designing. Um, we we get some serious data now to be able to to be able to concept. So it's it's cool. Has the data ever misled you guys? I think you can get lost in it sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's that it's that discussion of, you know, having an understanding of brand and making sure that you have insights and you use it as a basis, but you don't you don't let it drive every creative decision. And I think again, that's the balance with marketers. They literally want to listen to every single thing that's on that sheet and make decisions solely based on that. Esmeralda is a conceptual artist, and one of her most recent shows... The show was called What I Always Wanted to Tell You But Never Dared. ...explores a specific smartphone function and what it tells us about ourselves and data. It was around predictive typing on your phone. So when you're on your phone, uh, you have this little gray bar that, that offers you options for the next word. That's auto-correct, right? No, for it's not. It's predictive typing. It's just predictive typing. It says... Check your settings. If you write, let's say, I look forward, and then they're going to offer the option too. It's interesting because it's a, a artificial intelligence, right, that has been learning over and over from what you're saying and is trying to predict your next word, right? And I noticed that like, if you type over and over on the bar, like, a, like if you become a machine that types over, the phone is composing by itself 
sentences that are fully grammatically correct and they sound like a almost like a surrealist stream of thoughts right it's such a simple like almost dumb functionality of your phone right but it says so much about how much your phone knows from you and when you type over and over and you're going to see that like a you're going to have like some words that are going to appear and you're like, oh, actually, that's true. That's the words I use. So Because it's who, an algorithm and yes. we're all sort of algorithmically attached to something. It's kind and, of scary. Yeah, and who knows best? Who the algorithm knows best. And it's really, so when you talk about the phone, it's way beyond an object or a tool, right? There is much more to it in terms of like intimacy. Doug, is there such a thing as too much data? Yeah, and I think as as it continues to advance and, and you see the investment in AI, and that's sort of the next phase of, of this data is how do you have this data start to learn for itself that's going to begin to open up a whole other industry. It's you know sort of the, in, the next internet. The advertising and selling product is going to continue to change, and we're going to rely more and more on, on machines to help us with uh, consumer journeys and what's what's happening next before we make decisions on how we create for it. Do you see yourself being advertised to in a driverless car, as an example? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> it's going to open up the, that form to to be advertised to, which is it sucks kind of because you have radio, but other than that, that's kind of the place you can shut off um, because you're not looking at your phone, or you shouldn't be looking at your phone. And so, I, yeah, if you're not driving, it's going to be a huge opportunity to get people in a closed environment. With new innovations like driverless cars comes new data and new tools to measure this data which made me question, what does the future of mobile technology look like? I feel like with technology, things are moving so fast that um, we don't have time to step back and reflect on what is going on and mostly like, uh, what are your daily actions and what do they mean? You know? In some of her latest work, Esmeralda has used the mobile phone to express this idea that the device, specifically, represents both physical and mental awareness now, but also in the future. I think that like right now, this phone has like so much symbolic. It's kind of like this door to enter the digital world, and it's a door that we can enter at any time. So it's not anymore like before oh you just log into your computer and you go online right now online and offline are constantly together and interacting with each other at every second right and how does that happen through the phone so it's beyond the object it's about the access to my digital self and as well my uh, withdrawing from the physical world you know because now i'm with you right now and i know you don't we don't have our cell phones here but if we had it a small vibration of the phone in the table will withdraw you from your physical presence. So that's why I found the phone so important as a symbolic because it's kind of like this door that gets you in and out of the physical presence. As an artist, when you're thinking about the human condition, where do you see technology taking the human condition next? Oh, God. I'm more inter interested in seeing like uh, how much we are going to pull back. You know what I mean? Because I go back to my Greek traditions and I always there was this thing like in Greek antiquity about the hubris when man wanted to go too close to God. God was punishing them and reminding them where they should stay, right? And you see Icarus, he's trying to fly too close to the sun and then like his uh, wings he had done burn and he uh, falls down. So we are trying so much to uh, overcome a human nature in some ways. Like uh, what's the most deep thing in the human nature is death. It's like we've been transcending space with digital. I can speak to you uh, with Skype uh, in another place of the planet. But how about that? And you see how much 
they have all these new technologies that happen that try to like uh, mimic you when you're not in, anymore there. Like uh, it reminds me of like a Black Mirror uh, mm-hmm. episode. But I heard about a company that allows you to set letters or text message or emails that would be sent on a specific day to your children once after you died. Kind of like that's the letter she will receive via email, of course, the day she's getting married or every year at her birthday, she would get a text from mom. Mom is dead. We are we're going to die. We have to get to that. And I'm curious more about that. Like when we are going to get our wings burned and we're going to just get reminded that we are not God or nature, whatever you want to call it, and we're just human we cannot escape from that. Esmeralda brings up a good point. now. Right. No, I'm, please. <laughs> I'm, riddled, I'm riddled with anxiety. Now but we're going to start drinking that. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What has you curious lately? Phone books. Phone books? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think it's very interesting, like how before you were calling a place and now you're calling a person. Interesting. So I, I, I start buying phone books. Old from, phone books? Yeah. And I, maybe I would call the people, see if they still work. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, have, uh, I think it's interesting. While I haven't spent quite as much time thinking about Greek mythology or old phone books, I have become fascinated with the relationship between new technology and human behavior. I look at my children, and my children, when they want something, they want it now. Um, and I have really sweet polite kids. I don't um, believe that. I really do. I'm lucky. I don't know where they came from, but um, they grew up in an age where, you know, if you want something at a moment's notice, you push it on a button and you get it. And I think there's something to that that's going to really hurt the younger generations. Think about like, <laughs> think about like the dating applications, right? I mean, you can swipe, 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 swipe. I like, I don't like, I don't like. There, there's no interaction with that person. So there's no ability to actually socialize or understand how to have interaction with that person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they meet them post that. But it's like, I think that the emotional problems that our younger generation is going to have based on this immediate, this ability to have things immediately is going to be a real problem. I was at a conference last year and, and there was a filmmaker. He did this piece on virtual reality and it was um, a point of view piece. So the person was sort of walking through life, a day in the life, through the supermarket, on the street, et cetera. And they were looking through what their sort of like interface might be 20 years from now. And the whole environment was just riddled, to your point, with all these different stimuli. Mm-hmm. And it begs the question, does the over-incorporation of technology take away our ability to self-discover? And what does that do to identity? And what does that do to how humans create sense of self from the time they're your daughter's age until they're annoying media executives like us in their (laughs) 30s. Yeah, I'm concerned for my children. I'm concerned that they're not going to have self-awareness because of the amount of technology. I think that they're not going to have patience because they have an expectation that things should happen in in an instant. And they're going to lack sort of the social development that you that's required to, you know, go up to somebody and, and have to speak to them. I'm opposed to blind messaging them because uh, it's really easy to do that. Mm-hmm. So, And Esmeralda, I'd ask you, because as an artist, you're sort of the core to your artistry, in my opinion, is in exploring the human condition through technology in certain ways. Do you think it's getting harder for you to explore the human condition and understand it? Or do you think it's getting more interesting? I mean, I'm, the thing is, like, I'm not trying to understand it. The, I feel like technology is phenomena. So we cannot say phenomena is good or bad. With technology, we are getting into a... It's not a progress, it's a shift in human cognition and in the way our brain functions. Like the first one was when we moved, and I go back to Greece, sorry. So when we moved from oral to written tradition, right, 
that was a shift in the brain because the brain didn't have to remember things. It had to remember where to find these things, right? So it's a shift on the way the internal machine works. And I feel like right now we have a new shift and among the transformations because we're building this collective outsourced shared memory, right? And we have this kind of like new language made of images. But we need to learn how to delete you know, and it's very interesting, and how to forget. Because right now, if my memories are going through my phone and Facebook reminds me, uh, oh, four years ago, blah, 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 well, it took away the power of my brain in some way. And like uh, uh, on this end, who is deciding what was important and, and meaningful to me? Well, that's outsourced to a corporation. And so I think that learning to delete and filter ourselves is really a key element. Doug, what do you think? I, I think you're giving me anxiety. Oh, no. <laughs> I no, no, shouldn't be turning yeah, into the right. terror. I am yeah. a very positive person. It's <laughs> <No>. not. <laughs> but it's interesting, no, but you're though, right. because, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely you, right. You might lose your ability to remember over time <laughs> because your memories are automated for you. You can just flip through your phone. And yeah, I mean, it. it goes back to having something the instant that you want it. And it, it's the same thing with memories. It's now you get to shut that part of your brain off, right? And so, you know, you look at cameras, too. I don't think... How many pictures we have? Right, I, I have kids, and all my all Every my pictures are on captured. social, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so, I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll get it on, off the cloud. They continue to ask for a cell phone, and they're seven. So that that's kind of wild to me. Every time I see them on the computer, I go over there. I just because even myself, I find myself attached to my phone. I find myself attached to my applications. I literally have to train myself and physically talk to myself to put the phone down when there's other people there. And so yeah. I I worry about that as as it becomes, you know, ingrained in our culture and, and also their youth. How conscious are you of what you're exposing them to from a technology perspective? And are other kids at school saying, give me the phone? So I have computers in their room, but we set times when they're able to go on them. So it's not just, you know, freedom to be able to go on it. And uh, as far as cell phone, I think I want it in New York City because I want to be able to always talk to them and, and be in contact with them. So... Maybe I'll get him like so a, a flip. I'll get him a flip phone or something. The, the old Star Tap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is my favorite, actually. <laughs> I know. Have they ever said anything weird to you about a brand where you're like, how do you even know what that is? Yeah, they quote things from their commercials and and they watch YouTube all the time. So they don't really watch cable television that much. Yeah, uh, they watch television on the computer, and so they're served ads all the time. So yeah, I hear little things all the time about you know the ads that they see in between their their little shows. And are they applicable? Yeah. I mean, it's it certainly drives purchase. I mean, they certainly ask to go see certain movies if they see a preview on a, on a kid's movie. You know, they ask for specific toys that they're served. So, yeah, you know, I, I guess now that you're asking me, now it's bothering me. But <laughs> well, <laughs> I haven't really thought too much about it. But, yeah, they definitely react to them. Do you ever think about how some of the creatives, be it Shiseido or another brand you've worked on, are actually impacting someone's psychology? Yeah, all the time. I mean, that's our that's our trade, right? I mean, we're we're trying to get consumers to purchase what we're selling, right? And and you need to do that. So, yeah, every day we're trying to figure it out. I think retail is dying. I think competition is greater. I think technology is making consumers smarter. So, with that, we have more information to be able to influence purchasing. And as Meralda, your work really touches on the emotional side of technology in certain ways. The work is about the human at the time where technology is everywhere, right? I'm trying to kind of like uh, connect past and present to see like, okay, so what were we doing? Like, I don't know, like uh, in the Middle Age or like in Greece antiquity and what do we still do and like how technology makers do it differently. 
Understanding human development requires both a truthful look back at the past and a keen understanding of the present. Similarly, being able to connect across different languages and cultures is essential to marketing effectively in today's increasingly globalized world. I wonder, Esmeralda, just as an artist, because you've observed sort of the human condition in many different places mm-hmm. around the world, if you think the human condition presently is different in different places because of technology or because of the lack thereof. Yeah. I don't know if it's because of the lack of, and there is a mix on the culture. Like I know, like um, in the U.S., you it's about the now and like this anxiety of the now because you're you're always having this idea of like missing in action. But uh, you FOMO, like, as they say. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But it's really felt like uh, what you do is who you are and how you value in society. Like everybody has to be very busy all the time, and that makes you very important, right? You go to to France or Greece. Trust me, you're not going to find that people take two hours lunch break because what is important for them is quality of life, right? And uh, that culture makes that on the table the phone is not next to you because it doesn't matter. And there is like laws for corporations, especially consultants, that the company is not allowed to email you from 7 p.m to 7 a.m. because by law you're entitled to have free time and if you have an email you're going to have to reply. So it's more about the cultures. If you're in a society where instant is very important, well, you're going to absorb this uh, part of technology. If you're one where like, oh, you know, it can be done tomorrow, let's relax. I don't need to answer all my emails. Let's have one more glass of wine. When you were describing Greece, my anxiety actually was going yeah. down. Yeah, I, I look at people and how they interact and how communication is based. And so my work is reflect on that. So, uh, And when I, I create work in the United States, which is my primary location, we are so much mediated by technology in, in what we do. So the world cannot not talk about technology. But when I, I'm going to go to, like, I don't know, I had a project in Iran, didn't talk about technology because that was not the first thing that transpired mm-hmm. in the way people interact with each other. But here, you know, look at your, the subway, right? Everybody has a look at their phone. When you go to Paris, subway, people have their analog book. Or a just, newspaper. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Doug, my question for you would be, based on that and based on what you even know, just cross-market, do you use different technologies or tactics to reach consumers in different places? Certainly, each global market acts and thinks very differently. And that makes it challenging when you're launching something globally. So we're working with artists from different cultures to be able to connect with them. Um, as far as technology, you know, yes, I mean, there's different different applications that that different countries use and certainly there's there's centralized ones like Facebook is pretty global at this point Instagram is as well so I think you know this idea I'm always been envious of when I travel globally of that relaxed lifestyle I love it for that three days and then when I'm there for work it drives me crazy mm. um, but I'm an American so yeah that's same, it. Same. there is something fun too in the way when technology is provided to people how they bring it in, within their own culture like a Let's say I was in Lebanon for two months in January and February for for a project. And uh, they, first of all, they use WhatsApp. Like, that's the only yeah. thing they use. And they are using the audio message. Have you ever sent an audio message? Never. Have you? Yeah, once or twice. Oh, my God. I send to people now. They're really confused. And, like, very <laughs> dear. If you want to put someone in a bad position and, kind of like, embarrass, send him that <laughs> because they don't know how to react to it. Because it's a culture where... We speak a lot. 
So three minutes message to kind of like tell you like what time to meet, but you have in the meantime to tell the story of what just happened to you now and your, you know. So they, they ha we had all the same technology and based on your culture and how you are within a society, what functionalities of it do you use, you know. We can talk with anyone in the world, but we have this issue, which is languages. I have a lot of my works, I use Google Translate, and I take a, a text, like a poem or whatever, depending on the project, and I translate it multiple times from one language to the other to the other and bring it back to English. And the results are really, really interesting, and it becomes, again, like a, an exquisite corpus from the surrealist, right? And so that face, that shows that, like, despite all the technology and the algorithms, the Tower of Babel is still there, right? And languages cannot yet or maybe never be transcended by technology. So then what we do, we try to build a universal language made on image. I mean, why so many cat videos? Everybody loves cats. You know, <laughs> I don't, but most of the people do. You can be anywhere in the world. You're going to respond and understand each other. And then you start, oh, emojis. Okay, I pretty much get the faces together. And we slowly try to build this new vocabulary that is image driven. So I think right now that's why Instagram is there because I have my friends anywhere in the world that post and they put a comment. Well, I cannot read the comment or if they translate it may sound funny, but I see the image, I get it. Image tells the story. And I think art is a, an incredible way to have an emotional connection with, with consumers because I, I lead with visual cues uh, over any other thing. So I think, you know, we work with artists all the time. We have a campaign coming up for Shiseido Color Cosmetics where we're working with four different types of artists to represent a texture within that category, and we're really excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. We should probably call Esmeralda next I time. I know. Well, now um, that we know each other, Yeah, it's good. I'm glad yeah. to make the connection. Exchange business cards. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you both for your time. Thank Have you. Have a good rest of the day, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much to Doug Jacob and Esmeralda Cosmetopoulos for being my guests today. You can find Doug at jwalkny.com. That's J-W-A-L-K-N-Y.com. And Esmeralda Cosmetopoulos at esmeraldacosmetopoulos.com. Wait for the spelling. E-S-M-E-R-A-L-D-A-K-O-S-M-A-T-O-P-O-U-L-O-S.com. Next week on Mobilizing Culture. Basically, I spent my entire career asking the question of, like, what if our technology could understand how we're feeling? To me, that's, like, the missing piece of the puzzle.